0: The following program was pre-recorded and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control.
1: Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the Classroom, Save the Country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin.
0: And welcome again to Education America, where we are taking steps to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Come along with us. K-12 education is the playing field, and as the 16th President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, so rightly stated... He said the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. I want to turn to my co-host and co-founder of Liberty Classical Academy, Rebecca Hagstrom, where tonight we're going to continue our discussion that we began last week. We started uh, talking about the preamble to the Declaration of Independence of 1776, what the founders envisioned as what would help a constitutional republic thrive. Mm -hmm. Okay, And then tonight we're going to take a look at how education began to become affected in the latter part of the 20th century as the progressive movement in this country really had been gaining steam by that point. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, good to see you again tonight.
0: Yeah, you as well, Rebecca. Well, in addition to the uh, value changes that were taking place, uh, the federal government in the 1960s, they really became increasingly uh, involved in education funding mm-hmm. okay, at the federal government level. In fact, Presidents Kennedy and Johnson had asked Congress for increased federal aid for education, in which students from K through 12 all the way through the university level uh, began uh, studying uh, some older subjects in newer ways. And this served to really codify the progressive values in America's public schools.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, prior to that, again, um, we saw co- uh, local government control over education, and with the funding. of the um, public schools from a national level, from a federal level, that began... Kind of that transition, absolutely, mm-hmm.
0: absolutely, and we're going to talk about some of those specific changes. Uh, right now, education reform was a key part of President Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. In fact, in 1965, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act was passed, guaranteeing federal funding for education in school districts whose students' majority was low income. Uh, they funded preschool programs. They supported school libraries. They purchased uh, school textbooks and provided special education services. Now, uh, Elementary and Secondary Education Act, that came up in the news again a couple of years ago under then-President Obama as he had uh, made some changes to this uh, act. Is that
1: Yes, that's correct. And also that led to the formation of the Department of Education, which, you know, people... Today, might think it's been around forever, but it actually wasn't established until 1980. Yes. So the funding came in 1965 from the federal level with the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, and that gets renewed. Uh, I don't know if it's every five years, every 10 years, um, but it does get renewed on a regular basis. And, of course, each time they renew the funding. It seems to grow the Department of Education sure. and um, add more and more federal control over education, which really tends to then detract from local control. And it's, it's you know, local control is almost just a, um, a like a misnomer at this point. There's not a lot of local control over education anymore.
0: Absolutely. And mm-hmm. as federal dollars were being received by, you know, these school districts in different states, um, that always kind of seems to serve as a carrot to say, okay, you know, you've taken this money. Now, yep. here's kind of what we want yeah, to be taught gonna- in schools. I mean talk how, about that at yeah. the end
1: yeah that's I, exactly
0: right I mean how quickly did local school districts lose the power to determine what would be taught in the classrooms once the federal monies started going to the districts
1: Oh that started pretty quickly sure. when you consider that that first federal um funding in 1965 through the Elementary and Secondary Education Act was passed that's what about 60 years ago I would say
0: a little less than 60
1: um years. it's pretty shocking how quickly that has developed so um we developed as i mentioned earlier the formation of the Department of Education in 1980, which was only, what, 15 years after the passing of that act. And then in 1983, we had this huge report that a nation at risk that showed how far behind our students were. And so then that enabled the federal government to use the Elementary and Secondary Education Act to keep enacting reform after reform after reform. And we're still there today. Um, the ESEA gets re- renewed um, every so often Uh, Always with some new reforms attached to it. So, you know, you think about when President Bush came into office, he started the No Child Left Behind program.
0: This is Bush 43. This
1: is yes. Yes. Sorry. And uh, he's the school to work program. The whole idea being you want to make sure that the kids are coming out of school with um, skills that can at least support them in a job. Um, But they were shutting down schools if they weren't performing um, based on tests that they wanted the students taking. So all of this was top down. So the localities then became less and less significant because they had to meet the requirements of the No Child Left Behind Act, which was a federal act. So while they were trying to solve a problem, by default, it really took a lot of the power away from the local governments or the local uh, school districts and boards and placed it much more in the hands of the state and federal governments because they had to prove what they were doing was working. That's right. Uh Uh-huh. And And
0: individual, you know, identity for schools and school districts was being lost in the name of one size fits all.
1: Exactly. And in the name of trying to help, but when you try to do any type of one size fits all, it's never going to work. Uh, That's just not the way you solve problems. Students are different all over the country. Each district is different. And and then, of course, after Bush came, uh, President Obama... And he offered no child left, or he offered, excuse me, race to the top grants uh, to buy into Common Core. And again, that was a top down, you know, it was state standards, but they were, um, they were prompted to want to buy into creating state standards or buying the state standards, which were common core and written at more of a federal level, um, so that they would actually use them. So they basically bribed the states with money, once again, through the ESEA. And, um, and that, of course, once again, took control, even more control away from the from the localities, because now they were actually getting into standards. It wasn't just we need to make sure that each school is performing and they can pass this test. Now they're saying, here's the standards that we want to make sure every school in America is doing. Mm-hmm. And so once again, the local control became even weaker. Yes. So yes, it's it's really deteriorated over the course of time, all in the name of reform.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, as the progressive mindset, really beginning in the 1960s as it you know pertained to education, began to grip the classroom and culture. Explain for our listeners this transformation that began to take place, this leading the classroom away from reason and the disparagement of culture and teachers turning more into a guide where education started taking on the look of a student-centered education.
1: Mm -hmm. And that really goes back to what I talked about last week where um, after the progressive uh, movement started in the early 19th century and romanticism really entered into teacher training schools where a child should be the center of their education. Um, then what happened, what What the natural um, progression of that is, is that teachers become less and less important if you really believe that a student kind of in, internally knows what they want to study, what they are good at, and you just have to do what's comfortable for them. Um, the teacher becomes less important. And so more and more over the course of time, um, teachers were trained to be more as guides uh, rather than uh, the, the lead um, knowledge giver, you know, from the front of the room. And, um, you know, that's a that has had a lot of effect on the degradation of the actual academic program that we see in our nation's public schools and, and even a lot of private schools have taken on these progressive uh, teaching methods and um that's what we're gonna be talking about a little bit later in the show too. We're gonna to really show the impact that has had on our nation's college entrance exam test course. So
0: I mean that just seems like mm-hmm. a complete departure from, from education, if I can be frank about it. Yep. I mean it just
1: Yep, it, it is. What and, is
0: the point of you know, of, of teaching and learning?
1: Right. Right, well, and and we have to remember that out of the progressive era also came a whole different set of values and they they did not subscribe to traditional values. So you have both. And and what better way to um, transform a culture away from traditional Judeo-Christian values than through the education of children uh, because that's where change happens. You know, if you fill students with, a certain mindset in school, thirteen, you know, thirteen right. years of school, uh, you're going to end up with a new mindset in the culture, which was, you know, what Abraham Lincoln recognized a long time ago. Um, so that has actually really led to, um, you know, when we consider the sexual revolution in the 1960s, a lot of that came out of also this progressive mindset, walking away from traditional values, and fast forward to where we are today. Um, We don't just have um, what the sexual revolution was in the 1960s. Now it has continued to be the LGBTQ rights. Um, Now we have comprehensive sex ed that is being pushed in classrooms all across America. Yes. All of this came out of the progressive movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Well, you know what? We've been talking a little bit about the virtue, and I, I touched on the fact that Um, the scores that have really changed since the 1960s when a lot of these progressive ideas of how to educate kids really hit the schools. Um, And so we want to turn our attention uh, to some of these specifics about what the test scores actually say. And um, it showed in 1970 that there had been a long decline in SAT scores across America. Um, a January 1978 article appeared in Educational Leadership, which results, um, which demonstrated results from an August 1977 report. And uh, they made those results public from members of the advisory panel on the SAT score decline. And the panel leaned heaviest on two school related factors changes in the student population and changes in the curriculum. Okay, so this is what they were pointing at yes. as to be the cause of the SAT score decline. And as it pertained to changes in curriculum, the panel's research, and again, this is in 1978, uh, they found that fewer basic courses were being required of all students in high school with many more electives being introduced into the curriculum. This was particularly true in the English and verbal skills areas where declines had been larger. So again, if we take that mindset that the student should be the center of their education, what would that say? That would say, oh, well, let's let kids choose what they want to learn. Right. And that's why you end up with, back in the 70s, they started introducing less required courses and more elective courses. Um, and then back in the 70s, again, the research conducted at University of Chicago was um, So separate research found an 11% drop in English enrollments nationwide from 1971 to 1973 and a 50% drop in advanced English enrollments. California reported 19% drop in English course enrollments and a whopping 77% drop in English composition enrollments. Um, while there was a hundred percent increase in literature electives like the children 's theater, mystery and detective stories, and executive English, mm. so again proving this point that i 'm making that mm. we want to let the kids have fun, we want them to be the center of their education and let them choose what they want to learn, but then that happens at the expense of teaching really important skills
0: absolutely they did now this s a t decline panel they tried. To equate that the increase in elective enrollment may have been coming from students that weren't going to go to college. Mm-hmm. Okay? But their firmest conclusions were that the critical factors in the relationship between curricular change and the SAT scores are that less thoughtful and critical reading was being demanded and done. In careful writing had apparently gone out of style. <laughs> Isn't that so, sad? Right.
1: Gone out of style because it's hard and the kids didn't want to do it. Do it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: So in other words, I mean, society was setting new and different learning goals, as we've said over and over. And colleges and K-12 through schools were adopting new priorities in education. That's, that's the conclusion. As well mm-hmm. as different learning and communication processes. So, I mean, do the tests regularly reflect these changes or is it more of an issue of education changing in ways that are non beneficial to students. Well, mm-hmm. I think we know the answer to
1: yeah, that. Yeah, we definitely Just know the based answer. Based on
0: those percentages. Yes.
1: So. And again, you know, what's really sad is I think that the American public probably had no idea that these changes were happening. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this came out of the teachers' colleges. Um, and, you know, some of these teachers really started being educated this way in the 19, as early as the 1920s and 30s. But it took a while for that transformation to take place in the schools as those teachers uh, got older and rose up in the ranks in terms of leadership. And really, it happened around the 1960s that a lot of those teachers that have been educated with that progressive mindset where the students should be at the center became those that were running the schools or running the departments of education um, across the nation. And so this all Spread pretty like wildfire then after the 1960s, again, against the backdrop of an American public that really didn't know what was changing in their nation's schools. They mm-hmm. thought their children were being taught all of the basics, and it didn't happen overnight. But 60, you know, 55 years, that's pretty fast right. transformation of our schools. And now you have, you know, college professors, been, they've been saying for 15, 20 years, our students don't know how to write well. They have poor vocabularies. They don't know how to analyze and synthesize information, and and they're wondering why. And well, think of
0: all the money too that's got to you know be put forth now by these companies and these employers to train yeah, prospective students that, employees that have employees on graduating the,
1: from college. Right, they still don't know how to write. Yeah, and thus all the need for the reforms. You know, like I said, a nation at risk in 1983 was already picking up on the degradation of the reading and math skills. Really, that had just begun in the 1960s. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, well, what role um, did the changes, of course, in Virtue, which we've also talked about, the changes in values changed in the 60s and 70s? Um, How did that play into the SAT decline? Well, the panel uh, that we referenced a moment ago strongly suspected that there was a link between society developments or societal developments, excuse me, and a decline in quality education. Now, this is very unpopular to talk about today, Mm -hmm. but this was the 1970s when they were talking about this. The panel cited that in 1960, 89% of all children under 18 lived with two parents. And in 1977, it was down to 80%. And the number of children living with less than two parents was increasing by 300,000 students per year or kids per year. And the panel concluded then that a general lowering of educational standards also emerged and the factors that they cited include uh, the condoning of absenteeism, grade inflation, uh, promotion from grade to grade have become almost automatic. Once again, if the child's at the center and it's so important for the child to be happy and comfortable Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to give higher grades, even if they don't deserve it necessarily. Um, You're not going to want to hold a child back because that would be bad for their self-esteem. Homework levels are cut because they don't want it to be too hard for them. And then they also noted that most high school school textbooks had lowered from 11th and 12th grade reading levels down to a 9th grade level.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, we're hearing some of this obviously surface today. Yeah. So this is nothing that's new. This no. has been an issue for more than mm-hmm. 40 years.
1: And I want to remind our listeners that that was a report done in 1978 and the changes had only begun in the 1960s. So really a decade mm-hmm. um, had gone by and they were already seeing differences in test scores. And, you know, I want to just Quickly comment, Mark. Um, I grew up in a public school, um, or I was educated in a public K-12 education, and I have sisters and brother who are much older than me. And they were mostly educated in the 60s, and I was mostly educated in the 70s. And the difference in education was stunning. Uh, My parents couldn't believe how little homework I had. I had graduated in 1981, so I would have been in high school in the late 70s and early 80s. And they just... We we're stunned. They said, Our other kids had so much homework. Don't you have more homework? <laughs> and I hardly ever had homework. Went to the same school, exact right. same public school, ten years apart. Mm-hmm. And um I still got straight A's. So it wasn't as though I wasn't trying and getting poor grades. No. Um so I really actually lived out that difference just in looking at my own siblings compared to the type of education that I received.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, you know, this problem, of course, was recognized in the 1980s. I mean, there was the overriding concern about the quality of an American education. And in 1983, uh, President Reagan's National Commission on Excellence in Education published A Nation at Risk. And I would encourage our listeners to go back and to read the Tenet's. Of that report, and we're going to go ahead and share some of that uh, here, just to kind of show the the track record of decline that we saw uh, starting to really affect the second half of the 20th century. And so, the commission was especially concerned about the intellectual, moral, and spiritual strengths of the American people which knit together the very fabric of our society. That's exactly what the founders... I
1: was just going to say that. That sounds a lot like the Northwest Ordinance, and that was during the Reagan era, which, again, that was the 1980s. So Mm -hmm. that wasn't that long ago that they still valued those things in education.
0: Absolutely. In fact, the commission recognized that in order for our country to function, citizens must be able to reach some common understandings on complex issues, often on short notice, and on the basis of conflicting or incomplete evidence. So, in other words, critical thinking skills are needed, and a quality education is the vehicle to develop those skills. Yes,
1: exactly. And this is something that is so missing from our education today. And it was it was missing then, but they at least at that time they recognized that that was a problem. Yes, and. Uh, Now, today, that has not been recognized as a problem. However, I do think some pushback is coming where people are starting to wake up and say, wait a minute, we need to have some common values. We need to be able to respect differences. We need to be able to think critically on very complex topics. So I think we're getting some pushback just recently.
0: And and differentiating, Mm -hmm. too, you hear parents saying this is not appropriate in the area of education in terms of what's being taught in the classroom.
1: Why is this in my child's classroom? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, The commission printed testimony in terms of what some of the indicators of the risk were back in 1983, and I'm going to list some of those for you right now. Um, They found that on international comparisons of student achievement from the 1970s, um, it revealed that on 19 academic tests, American students were never first or second. Again, this is an international Um, evaluation, and in comparison with other industrialized nations, were actually last seven times. That's pretty shocking. It is. Yeah. Um, They also found that some 23 million American adults were functionally illiterate by the simplest tests of everyday reading, writing, and comprehension. Again, this is in 1983. Mm -hmm. They found then that almost 13% of all 17-year-olds in the U.S. could be considered functionally illiterate. 13%. Thirteen percent. I'm sure that number is much higher now. Functional illiteracy among minority youth at that time could run as high as 40%.
0: Major achievement gap even back in 1983. Yeah, yep, mm-hmm.
1: exactly. Um, the average achievement of high school students on most standardized tests was lower than it was 26 years earlier when Sputnik was launched, and that was in the 1950s. Um, Over half the population of gifted students at that time did not match their tested ability with comparable achievement in school. In other words, they were not being challenged.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: So, you know, lots of concerns there that came out of the nation at risk.
0: And the college board's SAT uh, demonstrated virtually, there was this unbroken decline all the way from 1963 to 1980. In fact, average verbal scores Fell over fifty points, and average mm. mathematics scores dropped nearly forty points. Yeah. And the College Board achievement tests also reveal consistent declines in recent years, uh, from you know that nineteen eighty three from the seventies mm-hmm. in such subjects as physics and English. Both mm-hmm. uh, the number and the proportion of students that were demonstrating superior achievement on the SATs, and when we say superior achievement, uh, six hundred fifty or higher, have also dramatically or had dramatically declined and mm-hmm. there was a there was a steady decline in science achievement too. It wasn't just math uh scores of u s seventeen year olds as measured by national assessments of science in comparison to nineteen sixty nine nineteen seventy three and nineteen seventy seven so mm-hmm. uh, between nineteen seventy five and nineteen eighty remedial mathematics courses in four college or four year colleges rather they increased by 72%. And in 1983, it constituted one quarter of all mathematics courses taught in those institutions. I mean, is it any wonder why STEM is such a serious concern Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. here in 2021?
1: Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yep, it continued.
0: And many 17-year-olds, it was assessed, did not possess the higher-order intellectual skills that the country should expect of them. In fact, the commission reported that nearly 40% cannot draw inferences from written material. Only one-fifth could could write a persuasive essay and only one-third could solve a mathematics problem requiring several steps. Mm -hmm.
1: All of this explains why then uh, President Bush started the uh, No Child Left Behind program, right? Because they saw that there was a severe problem going on in our nation's schools and wanted to solve it. However... I think the problem was that they weren't looking at the core of why we had the problem in the first place. You know, if you go back to the original plan for education in the U.S., not just the Northwest Ordinance in terms of its purpose, but its methodology, it took much more of a classical approach Mm -hmm. where you really are looking at what is best for a child in the way they learn through cognitive development And they're not the center of their education in the sense that they get to decide what they learn, but they're the center of the education in the sense that the method goes along with the way a child naturally develops from a cognitive standpoint. And so until we address that, we're not going to see change in education in this nation. We have to address the core reason why our modern education system is not serving the needs of the students. And unfortunately, I can go through this whole litany of what our um, presidents and, and their advisors have done to try to improve education. You know, it was, as I said, profiles of learning and school to work. And then Obama stepped in and said, well, that's not working very well. Now let's try race to the top grants and let's let's try these common core state standards, you know, and make sure that we're requiring all of these different elements of an education for children nationwide Let's try technology. Let's make sure that the STEM careers are represented. Let's make sure kids have these 21st century skills. In all of these, as well-intentioned as they are, they miss the whole point. And that is that our educational system has gone away from what works. And that is using that classical method. And until that enters back into our schools in a much more large fashion, we're not going to see... Uh, the improvements in the test scores because we keep throwing money
0: Running at the problem, and we're getting reforms, to the symptom but not the root.
1: And we never get to the root. And, you know, classical education is the way it's time tested. It is the way people were educated for centuries, even in the public schools here in America at the turn of the century, um, early 1900s. Uh, we had a classical education really all the way up through the 1960s for the most part. And that's when things changed. Right.
0: And we encourage our listeners to tune in next week as we will be giving the story of the founding of Liberty Classical Academy, what goes into a classical education uh, with the uh, the Christian emphasis. And so we're really excited to uh, to delve into that as well.
1: Yes, we are. Yes. Well, it's well,
0: been another wonderful Saturday night with you, Rebecca. Thank absolutely. you for all the wonderful insight. And we uh, have enjoyed uh, covering this topic. It's an important topic because we need to know history in order that we do not repeat it, and yes. hopefully we can really turn a corner here as we continue to raise awareness. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all the time we have on this installment of Education America. You can certainly follow us. We invite you to our website with plenty of resources for you to click on and to uh, begin to take an understanding of to what is all going on in education today. You can go to education-america.org and also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And that's all the time we have for tonight. Great seeing you, Rebecca. Yeah,
1: great seeing you, Mark. Thank you so much, and we are thankful for our listeners and look forward to talking with you next week.